0: you're listening to linked am tell your story on linked live and get noticed you're listening to carl wolfenden On the business class show and is not always affiliated with the guests and the topics discussed any financial statements are the opinions of the individual and you should seek professional advice before making any decisions upgrade your listening to business class the show that puts you in the big leather comfy seats so sit back and enjoy our take on the trending business issues of the week Howdy, folks. Here he is, the Texas Brit, the guy with the stiff upper lip, filling his 10-gallon hat and his cowboy boots, Carl Wolfenden. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to uh, Linked AM here on Business Class News. And, you know, the past, the past few months, we've been having a lot of guests on, that really, when I started looking back at them, I realized that there was a, there was a common thread. Uh, There was a common thread, and it was um, teamwork. That's that's what seemed to be coming over. Teamwork and planning. And that was in marketing. That was in operations. It was when we were talking about sort of... uh, Mental health issues at work, etc. It was all about getting together and working as a team. And you may know, um, I'm sure a lot of you do know that uh, I co-own a company, Kinexus, uh, uh, with a company called Infliction Point Group. And uh, you know, that is what they, one of them we call a portfolio company. and Infliction Point Group are, are involved in a company that is uh, really focused on corporate governance and actually uh, maybe over a year ago now i had a gentleman call uh, don springer on the show and we talked about the importance of a board well since then you now they formulated a company uh, with, a, with another good friend of mine dennis kagan and so it's don springer and dennis kagan and they're on the the line right now on the, in the studio our virtual studio and when we were talking you know off camera we were talking about you know is team and planning important in a corporate setting? And they went, yes, we need to talk about that. So I've got Dennis and Don uh, on the uh, on the line now. Hello there. Thank you for joining us this uh, this wonderful morning. Morning, Carl. Thank, you. Thank you. So, um, you know, I, I kind of just uh, sort of talked about how we know each other through, uh, you know, our common thread there, which is Infliction Point Group uh, as such. Uh, but uh, Don, you know, you were on my show about a year ago and we talked about the importance of a board and, and, and you, you really sort of opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, an entrepreneur or a, a startup business or even an existing business shouldn't be an island. They need to have support. So, so tell, tell me what your company, Governex, that's a great name by the way, Governex, I love it. Um, what, what does it do and, and what's it about? Yeah, so, and it's good to see you again,
1: Carl, after all this time. Um, Governex was formed by three companies, as you said, Inflection uh, Point, uh, Kagan Co., and the Colton Group. And it, we really formed it because we wanted to raise the standard of boards and board governance uh, for private companies.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... If you think about it, that makes complete sense. And and, and Dennis, thanks for joining me. Um, you know, so so what is that value of the board? Would you say, Dennis?
2: Well, uh, aside from what we do, Carl, uh, there's been a trend over a long time of private companies upgrading their governance to look more like public companies, which, of course, their governance is is driven by regulatory requirements. Uh, but the primary advantage to a private company is is first of all, it gives them a, a different level and a different method of accessing experts, high-level executives, experts in a variety of fields, experts in government governance, experts in company growth, revenue generation, marketing, manufacturing, whatever it is their business they're in, whatever high-level expertise is critical to their business that would help their business that they don't possess enough of, if, they're, if they don't have expertise in finance, if they don't have, whatever it is that they're, that they're slightly lacking in, they can, they can augment that with a high level board member. So it's, 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 it's access and guidance from, from experts. The second thing is that in that context and in the context of the board, uh, there's, there's quite frequently uh, cre- very creative, innovative ideas for the business that tend to surface. The management of the business and the ownership of the business become hyper-focused on the inside of the business and what they're doing, and they often miss opportunities or they or they don't avoid pitfalls. The board gives them a higher level of visibility and perspective on what's going on. So, for example, you may have somebody on your board that's a high-level performer in another industry, and you come and I know for for example, in cybersecurity is one of your issues. If they may have faced a cybersecurity issue in their industry in general or in their company that you haven't faced. So as you uh, as you discuss and strategize in your cyber strategy, then they may be able to give you some innovative ideas or some experience from outside your industry that may help. Uh, the third thing is if you're planning on, on an exit or a liquidity event for the company, if you're planning on selling at some point, not necessarily right away, but at some point, a high level, very, very credible board, impressive board, if I would say, can add credibility to what you're doing. Your customers see it, it's a stamp of approval. It's a good housekeeping uh, governance stamp of approval to have a high-level executive. Uh, I just put the former chief human resources officer from Deloitte on one of my boards that's involved in human resources software. Uh, I once put the former director of the NSA on a board of a cybersecurity company. That I was that I was running at the time, so they can give you a very a high level of credibility, and uh, both for customers, for your own employees, and then for potential acquirers. Uh, and the next thing it does is, particularly in a private company, it's very closely held. Maybe it's a family business. Okay, there's often issues among the founders or among the family. If that's all that's on the board, those issues can become very contentious. An independent board member or multiple independent board members can mediate those issues, give you a, give you an outside, unbiased perspective and help work through coming to a conclusion and a decision that's in the best interest of the company and, and balancing the interests of all the other participants. And then lastly, in a company's quest for best practices in their industry or in business in general, a board is an absolute requirement.
0: I mean, I think, you know, those are very good points. And there's a lot of things that I hear out there. I mean, because we get a lot of emails in there. I attend a lot of events, you know, closed door sessions, you know, which you're part of with Infliction Point. And I talk to executive entrepreneurs and half the time they they, they think, oh, I I don't even need a board or (laughs) what is the value of a board? I mean, do you hear that a lot? I mean, Don, do you hear that when you're you're out in the marketplace?
1: Oh, yes, uh, qu- quite a bit. And uh, entrepreneurs are interested in getting market traction. They want to test their, their product or service, and they want to test the market's acceptance of that product or service. And then they move into a life cycle of growth where they scale that and finally to maturity. Well, just as Dennis said, the value of a board for entrepreneurs is really to help them in all of those phases. And uh, a lot of times, if I boiled it down, I'd say there's two reasons an entrepreneur should really get aboard. One is extend the trusted network that they already have. And two is to lend credibility. Now, as they're getting market traction, they're trying to sell. So they're trying to get credibility and trusted networks to open doors to customers as they decide to move up to funding. They're trying to get trusted networks and credibility so that uh, they can access capital. And finally, as they grow, they need those extended trusted networks and credibility to grow as well. So I think that's the value of a board for entrepreneurs.
0: And, um, you know, I think we've covered this a little bit um, when when Dennis was talking. But Dennis, you know, there's a lot of mistakes, I think, that uh, people make when they're when they're looking at a board and, they're, they're, as you say, a lot of people start a company and, it, and it's just f- family funding. So they think, oh, I just need my dad, my brother, <clears throat> etc. Just bring them around a the table and we just need to get together once a month and, um, and write a few notes. But what, what, what are the main mistakes, I think, you know, that I'd like to hear uh, that people make when, they, when they're doing this?
2: Well, if they have a company, Carl, whether it's an LLC or a C-Corp, if they're serious about the business – then they're going to incorporate in one way or another, yep. and so if they have either an LLC or a C corp, they have a board legally. It's there. The question is whether they use it or not, whether they take advantage of it, not or not. It may just be the founder or the founder and his and his and his wife or you know two co-founders, but they're legally the board. They may never meet. Or as Don indicated earlier, their meetings or, or their meetings may may just be management reviews. They may not get to anything at the level that a board would help them with. So, so the first mistake they make is they don't really use the board. They don't really take advantage of it. They don't really add people to it, independent directors that can augment and expand their their knowledge, their awareness, their expertise. Uh, by putting independent board members on it. So it's it's either they don't use it at all or it's all insiders. Uh, Don and I had a project recently where there were seven board members and all the board members were civil engineers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they had no outside perspective because it was a civil engineering firm. So so not using it and making and all insiders is the number one mistake that they make. Uh, the second is that that typically, especially in that mode, their meetings become just management meetings. In many of those kinds of boards, everybody on the board reports to somebody else on the board. Right. So they're always worried about their boss is always there. So you don't get any, you, you don't get the kind of creative thinking, uh, open. It, it doesn't create a culture of exploration, innovation, and openness. Uh, and so they never get to strategy. They never get to succession planning, which are two of the most critical issues that the board is at a level of oversight that that it can help with, both developing and tracking and 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 modifying. The, the strategy as the company goes forward. Also then the, the other thing is dealing with crises. Mostly the board is, is going to be helpful in anticipating crises but then also once you're in one the board is going to give you just a lot more brains around the table to deal with the crises. So uh, usually boards of that nature, underperforming boards, are really all about operations and all about finance, and that's all they discuss, and of course, then the company just kind of marches along in lockstep. Uh, the third issue is that they wait too long to actually form a real board or a working board, and often, for example, if they're thinking of a liquidity event, they oh, yeah, we'll get to a real board as soon as we have investors. Well, the problem there is as soon as you bring on investors, they have a say-so in who you put on your board. They may even want to be on your board. It's best practice to develop a high-level, fully functional, multi-dimensional board before you get investors. Then when you bring on investors, they join that board as one voice among the other board members, whether it's four other board members, six other board members, eight other board members. They're only, or they're only one or two voices among a broader board, so they don't have an overweighted influence at the board level. So, so you don't wait until you have other investors or other influencers. In the meantime, it's a competitive advantage. So having that highly functional board makes your company perform better than anybody else. Why not take advantage of that for a longer period of time?
0: Well, I, I mean, that makes – I mean, I never thought of it that way about, you know, having having the investors say, hey, I want this particular – then you're stuck. You know, you've got to do – because they're giving you the money, so you've got to listen to what they're saying. So be in a position of strength before you even get into that position. You know, and I, you
2: know, I, might mention, I might mention, Carl, that they may come on board and they may say, well, wait, okay, you've got a board and you've got two founders or three founders on it, and even though you've got independence, okay – we we in order to get our money, we want to change it. So they may ask you to take one or two people off your board, but then it becomes a negotiation. You can decide if you want to for you know forego that in in return for their money or not. If they're not there, if you haven't created that, there's no negotiation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a point. That's a great point. And the other side of this is, and and again, this is goes back to the conversation that Don, you and I had um, about there's a There's a different type of board that you can look at as well, and that's an advisory board um, yes. and I think that when the three of us got together the other day for coffee, we were just chatting about you know hey uh, this would be a great segment on on business class news we We talked about you know accessing talent. And uh, Dennis, you just said about you know there's people all of the same industry sector. you don't have that different perspective. But Don, you talked about having an advisory board where you can actually you know access talent that you would never think that you could afford um, if if you if you if you move forward. so so how does that work? Yeah, you know, I, I think the first thing to
1: talk about is the difference uh, between a fiduciary yes. board and an advisory board. A fiduciary board, Uh, has legal liability. Uh, The members have legal liability, and they report and serve the shareholder. An advisory board, the members do not have legal liability, and they usually report to management, which usually is the CEO or just the owner. And the purpose is really, um, and you can have both at the same time, by the way, Uh, the purpose of an advisory board is really to bring that wealth of advisors, that outside perspective that Dennis and I have been talking about, to really focus on one or two strategic initiatives. So an example might be a private company decides that they want to go into M&A. They've got uh, quite a bit of capital. They've decided the market that they're uh, addressing is really ready for some sort of consolidation. And so they would like to do an M&A. But they don't have MA on their board. And they don't want to place it on their board for various reasons. So they decide to create an advisory board for the express purpose of helping them uh, M- MA. Uh, so they might get an expert on MA, mergers and acquisitions. They might get an expert on the market that they're in. They might get an expert on a adjacent market that they think they've got targets that that, that they want to uh, really acquire and, and broaden their skills. So again, the real difference is an advisory board can bring, as you said, those, all that expertise, Carl, into bear on one or two or three very specific strategic uh, initiatives. Um, they can meet loosely. Sometimes they'll meet as a group Formally, like a fiduciary board, sometimes um, the CEO or management just does one-on-one meetings with them over time. So it's a loosely constructed focus group of consultants, if you will. That are really set up for one or two very strategic uh, initiatives.
0: So, how do they get compensated, though? I mean, it's just out of interest, on the advisory side, you know, do I have to pay them a, a, a monthly stipend, or how, or does it a percentage? How does that work? Yeah, there's,
1: there's there's all kinds of compensation. It depends if it's a smaller company. Sometimes it's equity. Uh, sometimes it's a mixture of equity and cash. Uh, larger companies pay. Uh, cash. And sometimes uh, that payment is on a monthly stipend. Sometimes it's just per meeting. There's all kinds of ways to do it because you can add two or three really notable uh, experts in their field for a relatively insignificant amount. They're not spending that much time and they bring a lot of wisdom and experience and skills. Uh,
2: Carl, I might point out that uh, in, in many private companies they don't want to give away any equity and they and if they can't necessarily even afford to pay a stipend as you mentioned then there are plenty of other mechanisms like a tracking stock or a profit sharing or other things like that that can defer payment, give those advisors a piece of the upside on an annualized basis. There's a a lot of other techniques that aren't particularly expensive. But the key thing is that with an advisory board, you're really looking for very narrow, specific expertise in one thing, vertical expertise, if you will. Whereas a board of directors, re- you're really looking for a breadth of experience and judgment because the board of directors is overseeing the company on the on behalf of the shareholders. The advisory board is giving management additional high-level insights into specific topics, and the advisory board is not meant to work together as a board. It's just a group of advisors, whereas the board of directors is intended to work collaboratively, and and not on an ego basis, but collaboratively with each other to help advance the company.
0: Well, that's why we need uh, guys like you and Governex to come in and and really go through. Because I mean, it is a complex. It sounds, you know, when I first came into this uh, with this word corporate governance, like uh, oh, corporate governance, it's just one of those greenwash words that that people use. And I and then when I started to realise, when I started talking to you, Don, uh, a few uh, a year ago, and now we're having this conversation, it's it's like, oh my goodness, it's kind of a pretty big deal to have this as a strategy because it's it's going to be the pillar that is or the foundation of whether your business is going to be successful or not because as we talked as we talked about earlier you guys talked about that as a forensic side of things, there may be something that happened years ago that you don't know about, and then you go and do an acquisition, or or they acquire you mainly. Um, and I'll they it. find it. They lift the lift the hood up and go, "Hey, wait a minute! Oh, okay." And then your 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 you, you, your value plummets down. I would think. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it, it really is. Uh, governance is really a discipline in and of itself. Yep. Um, and it's it's separate from just operating marketing or operating finance. It's, it's very much a discipline.
2: I regularly hear from entrepreneurs that have gotten advice, don't ever take a venture capital investor, don't ever take a private equity investor, because they'll steal your company from you. Well, okay, in the beginning, you sat across the table from them, and they pushed across an agreement. And the agreement had various terms and conditions relating to corporate governance. You signed the agreement, so by not understanding what you were signed, you gave them the opportunity to take unnecessary advantage of you. Where had you understood on a, and made arrangements in advance and, and closed those loopholes, even those investors would not have had the ability to do the bad things that people complain about. That's just the that's just the bad side of it. There's plenty of upside.
0: Well, I think you, you've got, again, we started off the segment by saying that there's a common thread with a lot of the conversa- conversations I'm having. It's planning, it's, it's sort of working together, and what you just said is that thing. If you plan, and you'll get a better result at the end that, you, that you're looking for than if you hadn't planned. Well, guys, this is this has been a great conversation, and I just want to touch on one thing you mentioned um, about cybersecurity. Um, you know, as part of you know an example there, as as you know, we've just launched uh, businessclasssecurity.com, dot com, which really was a, a product out of a lot of people saying we need more conversations, we need more stories, we need more information about cybersecurity because. It's become a big hot topic. So, uh, a, a board uh, board starting to talk about this is it, is an it input impo- is it is it as important as we're finding it from our readers and listeners. Is it important from a board's perspective?
2: Well, well, let me let me start by saying that first of all, uh, boards for many many years have had audit and finance committees. Yep, and and it's very traditional. Uh, It's less than 100% now, but it's still uh, dominant that risk in general for a corporation, that oversight of risk resides in the audit and finance committee. Why? Because up until recently, the highest risk was a financial risk. Misreporting or fraud or whatever it might have been—that was the biggest single risk to the value of the company. So it reported in under finance or audit committee. Well, now what's what's changed at a corporate level is cybersecurity is now the number one risk, far eclipsing uh, uh, financial uh, reporting risk, and yet it still may reside in an audit committee. There may be nobody on the audit committee that even knows how to turn on an iPad, yet they're responsible for cybersecurity right. risk. Yep. And so th- that's the first disconnect. Uh, I wrote an article uh, about five years ago for the National Association of Corporate Directors Directorship Magazine on why cybersecurity is ultimately the board's responsibility and what can they do, what can the board do to mitigate their responsibility. And there's a, there's a number of things, but... but cybersecurity risk is the largest risk now of course there's other there's other what, what everybody calls black swan events that come along like covid which becomes temporarily the biggest risk yeah okay but but the interesting thing is if you focus all your risk attention units on covid what do you think is going to happen on the cyber side?
0: Well, you're not sneak think in the back door. I know they are. They're
2: trying to take advantage <laughs> of that, so you can't, you know, so you can't just focus on one risk. But uh, and there's a number of things that I believe a board can do to mitigate that risk. So and I can go into them if you want me to, but I don't know what your time constraints are.
0: Um, I think this, it would be a great, great segment to follow on. Let's do that as a separate topic because we we are coming up, and uh, I think your uh, your assistant came in behind you then. <laughs> that,
2: my assistant, yeah, my, my golden retriever. There you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we all have them. It, uh, they 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 all. They, I think they call it pet bombing now, where they just come <laughs> in and they, they just go hi. And so, uh, so no yeah, I laugh there.
2: when it happens to somebody else.
0: (laughs) Ha, 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 well, guys, um, unfortunately, yes, we have run out of time. But this has been a very educational piece, as always. I love talking with you guys. I would love to do a separate session on cybersecurity because that is a big sec- uh, you know, section of our publication now because uh, people working from remote and things like that, and the board does need to understand that. Well, let's just summarize. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about a, a board of directors. You know, you should have one put in place as early as you can in the formation of the company. Um, But the biggest thing that I've got out of this is there are so many different elements of setting the boards up. (coughs) You really need to talk to somebody like yourself. And uh, I'm going to put all the information on the website underneath this post as well, uh, so how they can get hold of you. uh, Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a conversation that somebody needs to have at least just to understand your perspective, and then you can work on how you can work together. So I'm going to get that done. So thank you for joining me this morning. It's been very enjoyable. I really appreciate thank you, it. Carl. It was thank a pleasure. You, that was, uh, of course, uh, Don Springer and Dennis Kagan of Governex, and what a great conversation. I mean, at the end of the day, like we've always said, if you can plan and you can look at different ways of of really securing the future of your business, because at, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. You, you've put all this effort and this, this passion and the energy into building the thing that you want to, to have a business and then have it just be taken away from you because you didn't have simple steps in place like having great experts on your advisory board, have a board that's strong in different areas of responsibility then you've really got to talk to uh, Don and Dennis about really getting that done so so I'll put all the details as I said on the website and as I always say to my viewers readers and listeners go out there make some money but have some fun and now be safe out there so bye-bye